Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, open it this morning to Galatians 5 and verse 15. Galatians 5 and verse 15. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you for such a wonderful time of worship already. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant us understanding of your word, that it would be spiritual understanding, that it would be more than intellectual understanding, but that it would strike us at the heart, at the seat of our emotions, at our affections, at our loyalty that you would have your way with us and that you would teach us and help us to understand all the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, how to balance those truths, those riches that we enjoy, how to to keep our joy in the Christian life, how to pursue you with the right motive Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that you give every believer and for the work that the Holy Spirit does within us to, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, and to protect us, and to seal us. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our time now in your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we, we defined, we're looking at this doctrine of sanctification, and, and you'll remember that it's very important when we're talking about sanctification. And if you're a Christian, you're pursuing holiness, which is sanctification. It's very important for us to understand the doctrine of justification, that we are 
we are in Christ, we are perfected in Christ, we have something positionally that we are not experiencing fully, and what we have positionally is that we've been declared blameless forevermore in Jesus Christ. Now, we are not experiencing that blamelessness right now, are we? Not in our experience, because we, I still sin. How about you? And so what, what, we're, what we're pursuing is to experience as best we can what we have positionally. Now, we won't experience it fully, the Bible teaches us, until this old man is peeled off, if you will, and we inherit a body that is immortal and sinless. We defined last week what it is to walk by the Spirit, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to take it slow because I want to build this foundation of what sanctification is, what it is not, what it looks like. What, what's it going to look like for you in everyday life? Because my, my experience is it can be, I can get pretty down at my sanctification. And, and, and there's a cure for that. And as, as a pastor for many years, I've counseled many who have, are just overcome with their, the process of sanctification in their life or lack of, if you will. And, and it's, when we get that way, it's, it's from a misunderstanding of sanctification and justification. And so I want us to understand these things, and so I want to I wanna take this slow and move slowly, as slow as, as necessary. To walk by the Spirit is in the most basic sense sanctification. That's what it is to walk in or walk by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, it is the Holy Spirit leading us to want to do and to doing what God delights in. The Holy Spirit leading us to want to do and the doing of what God delights in. And God delights in our pursuing obedience out of love for him. That's what God delights in. God does not delight in our pursuing him out of trying to earn. Right? And so a lot of times we have to ask ourselves, what does the law say to me? This will tell you the frame of mind that you're in. Does the law say do or does the law say done? It's a mindset that we can flip back and forth to very easily, but the mindset that we should be in is the law says done because someone kept the law on our behalf. Amen? Jesus Christ. God delights in our pursuing obedience out of a love for him, for who he is and what he has done and is doing. The beauty of sanctification is that the entire process of sanctification is within the walls of the new covenant. You're not in the process of sanctification if you're not in the new covenant. You can't be. And so there's security there that I'm going to talk about, but the entire process of sanctification is within the new covenant. And with the new covenant, and this is part of the new covenant, this is the description and details of the new covenant, the new covenant has been kept completely for us by Jesus. We're not in the new covenant 
under some kind of do this or be exiled, do this or be abandoned, do this or you're no longer mine. That's not the parameters and the details of the new covenant. The new covenant says enter in and trust solely and exclusively on the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And so within that, there's security to pursue sanctification with what? With joy. With joy. So there can be joy in our pursuit of obedience to God. This is founded on the biblical doctrine of justification, which frees us to pursue holiness, which is sanctification. And, and we need to remember, we need to remember that while we're pursuing holiness as Christians, while we're pursuing holiness, we are fighting two things that we usually switch back and forth to, but also we typically, our personality or our upbringing, how, how we've been molded in this life, will usually lean to one side or the other. And that is this. While pursuing holiness, we are fighting legalism, which demands responsibility without freedom. Or, and we are fighting antinomianism, which demands freedom without responsibility. Those are the two things that we usually, the pendulum usually swings for us back and forth, but we typically lean towards one or the other based on who we are. And we have to fight against those. Legalism says, uh, um, it says responsibility without freedom. And antinomianism demands freedom without responsibility. Now, I want to pick up where we left off last week. I want us to look at the command to walk by the Spirit. And, and here's kind of what I want to talk about that, what the command to walk by the Spirit. It's an imperative verb there by the, by the Apostle Paul. It's a command to us. We're to walk by the Spirit. But here's, here's what I want us to understand. Walking by the Spirit is something that was not possible before regeneration. It was not possible before regeneration. Before the Holy Spirit made us alive spiritually, we could not walk by the Spirit. Because the things of the Spirit to an unregenerate person are foolishness, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to the unregenerate person. Foolishness. And so we experience as Christians here, Paul is teaching us and elsewhere, we are experiencing as Christians something altogether new, something that we could not do before. And so I want us to look at what this newness causes within us in the process of sanctification. What you notice here in the passage at hand is that there's a battle here going on, right? The spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is against the works of the flesh, and the works of the flesh are against the fruit of the spirit. 
And so we're experiencing something altogether new as Christians. There's a battle. There's a battle, and we need to understand this. As Christians, there's a battle that begins at justification that was never occurring before it. And Paul's illustrating this in Galatians 5. Walking by the Holy Spirit is in opposition to walking by the flesh, and walking by the flesh is in opposition to walking by the Spirit. And we need to understand something here as Christians. We are not fully delivered from the corruption of the fall. If you don't understand that foundational truth, then you will be most miserable in your pursuit of holiness. We are not fully delivered from the corruption of the fall. Paul tells us that the inner man is new and being renewed day by day. But he also tells us that the outer man is wasting away and will eventually be shed. Now, I read Romans 7 in the introductory this morning, and I want to read it again, verse 21 through 25, because this is important foundational truths for us to understand for sanctification and for our joy in sanctification. Paul says this, so now remember, the, the inner man has been, is new and being renewed day by day. The outer man is wasting away and will eventually be shed and Paul says in verse 21 of Romans 7, So I find it to be a law that when I do, want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Why? Because the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. And he says in, in, in verse 22 of Romans 7, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Why? Because the inner man is new and being renewed day by day. But I see in my members... The outer man that's wasting away, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now here's, here's something very important to understand about Romans 7. Paul is not saying in Romans 7, and I think this is where some people stray on, on their understanding of Romans 7. Paul is not saying that Christians cannot do anything but live by the flesh. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, there's this desire for me within, but I can't do it at all because of the outer man that's wasting away. He's not saying that. He's not saying, well, we're just held captive. There's nothing we can do. We can't pursue holiness He's not saying that. That's not what Romans 7 is teaching. What Romans 7 teaches is that as Christians, the inner man desires to live a life of worship that is expressed in perfect obedience to God. If, there's ever been, if you're a Christian, there's been this longing. You know there's been a longing within you. I cannot wait to be with Christ in glory. Amen? And the reason that longing is there, part of the reason that longing is there, is because we're sick 
of sinning. We, we pursue God and we pursue holiness, but it's not a complete and perfect obedience. We want, oh, how we want to live in, a, in worship to God that is expressed in perfect obedience. We now love God and desire to please him, and we understand that righteousness pleases him, and so we want to live righteously. But now that we have become a Christian, we notice something that we never noticed before. And that is that we can't obey God perfectly. That's, when you become a Christian, that's, 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 a, new, that's a new truth. That's a new battle that wasn't there before. And the reason why it wasn't there before or that we didn't know it before is because it wasn't there before. It didn't exist before. We didn't have the Spirit of God living within us before. There was not a desire to obey God biblically. I mean, yeah, as, a, as an unregenerate person, you can make up all kinds of things and convince yourself that that's obedience to God. We're talking about living, worshiping in spirit and in truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it did not exist in us before, a desire to obey God. Now, as Christians, being regenerate, having a new heart, having the Holy Spirit living within us, now we want to obey God, and we find this law within us that we can't do it perfectly, even though we want to. Before our new birth, we never truly desired to obey God. We only sought to suppress Him. So now there's this, this new desire within us as Christians, and there's this new battle that's going on within Christians, and we need to understand it or we're going to lose our joy. We're going to become defeated. We may not, we, we, we can't walk away from Christ fully if we're in the new covenant, but we can walk away from the church, his visible bride, because we don't understand what's actually going on within us and how it's supposed to go and how it's going to look. When Paul says, walk by the Spirit, or a, a few verses later, be led by the Spirit, or a few verses earlier that we are no longer under the dominion of sin, he's not saying that the desires of the flesh are now absent from believers. And that's why Romans 7 is so important. And the fact that the apostle Peter had to be rebuked by Paul. Paul's not saying that you're no longer under the dominion of the flesh and therefore all the desires of the flesh are now absent from you and if you're struggling with them, something's wrong. It's not what he's saying. He's saying this, if you're struggling, something's right. Because the struggle wasn't there before. So he's not saying that the desires of the flesh are not absent from believers. On the contrary, 
Paul is saying in Romans 7 that the desires, and here, the desires of the flesh threaten us constantly. They're a constant threat. Being, being free from the dominion of sin means that we're not dominated and ruled by it. It's not our Lord. Sin is not our Lord. Christ is. In other words, before we were in Christ, when we were under the dominion of sin, sinning is all we could do. We had no ability to do anything pleasing to the Lord. Paul says in Romans 8 that we were at enmity with God. We had no ability to do anything pleasing to the Lord. And we know that anything outside of faith, the Bible says, is sin. Now, in Christ, we are no longer under the dominion of the flesh. Meaning this, we can now do what we were once unable to do. And that is to pursue a life that's pleasing to God out of a love for him, for who he is, for what he's done, for, the, for all the riches that we have been made partakers of in Jesus Christ. We can now love God. We couldn't do it before. We were at enmity with him. We sought to suppress his truth in everything and make it our truth. We can now love God. We can now love his law. We can now pursue holiness. We can now resist sin. But we cannot do it perfectly because of the remaining flesh. And hence, there's a battle within us. A battle ensues that was never there before because we never had a desire to obey God biblically. Nor did we have the Holy Spirit who works in us to do that very thing. Now, what does that look like? I, I want to I just briefly look at this um, to see what this battle looks like. What does this battle look like? I'm going to come back to it next week, but for right now, I just want to briefly, what does that look like? Paul says in verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, meaning they're opposed to one another. One pleases the Lord, one displeases the Lord. One is God's will for us to walk in. One is going against God's will. They're opposed to one another. They are not friends. They're enemies. And it's important for us to understand, too, when we think of sanctification, it's very important for us to understand this truth. There's this battle going on within us, and it's not, Paul does not mean that the flesh and spirit are equal in power. That's false. He's also saying that we don't cast, it's not us that we're somehow casting the deciding vote. That's Thomas the Train theology. That's, that's what that is. That's Thomas the Train theology. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And, and then in what ends up happening, if we think that way, somehow we start relying and depending on ourself rather than the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Remember what I said last week, that being led by the Spirit is more than the Holy Spirit pointing the way for us to go. And then 
letting us do it. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is more like this. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says this. But thanks be to God, right? But thanks be to God who in Christ always, listen to this. This is important for us to understand so that we don't fall prey to Thomas the Train theology. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Amen? Here's why we'll make it, dear Christian, because of God. Because of God leading us. Because we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Because Christ has given us the Spirit of God who seals us and leads us and guarantees that we will be led to victory in Him. Paul says this. I want, I want to read this 14 through 16. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And then he says this, and this is important. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Christ, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and I can't emphasize this more. You remember what I said last week? Praise the Lord that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, given the Holy Spirit. We're pursuing holiness within the parameters of the new covenant which have been kept by Christ for his people. And even when we give in to the desires of the flesh and even grieve the Holy Spirit, praise God that the Holy Spirit doesn't abandon us, but instead leads us to repentance and godly sorrow. He doesn't quit on us. Christ always leads us. He has saved us for the glory of his name, and he guarantees that he will lead us to victory, his victory. Our sanctification is a work of the Spirit in which we participate by working it out. And Paul says, I love this question, who is sufficient to live such a life? Right? Well, here's the answer. No one outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I think I can, I think I can will get you nowhere unless you're working out what the Holy Spirit is working in. Someone may say, well, it doesn't sound like we're really doing anything, but on the contrary, the Bible teaches us that as Christians, we work out what the Spirit works in. We work out what the Spirit works in us. And if there is no working out, there is a, the assumption can be made that we are either giving in to the desires of the flesh, grieving the Holy Spirit, and need to repent, 
Or there is no working in us by the Spirit by which we can only resolve to repent and call upon the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and He will work in us. And so if He's working in us, there will be a working out by us. You understand? It's important. That's important for us to understand because we're either in a season of sin and, and we're grieving the Holy Spirit, and, and which is why community is so important because we can be blind to those things and we can start searing our conscience and we need other brothers and sisters in Christ to come to us and say, hey, look at what you're doing. This is not according to God's will for your life. And we can say, I thank you and repent. And now we're, we're back, right? With this, this experiencing what we have positionally. Or if there is no fruit, right? That's why it's called. If there's no fruit of the Spirit, then it's quite possible that we don't have the Spirit at all. And then we need to repent and call on the name of the Lord. Because being led by the Spirit is an assurance that we have the Spirit. Romans 8, as we looked at last week, or 9 maybe, all those who are Christ have the Spirit of God. Now, I want to I, I read the, these few verses that, and con, that contrast the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit very briefly this morning. Nineteen Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't want to get in, into some long dictionary list of what these terms mean, Maybe I will a, a little bit next week, but you know what most mean, if not all. And in the list of the works of the flesh, here's what we see. We see sinful emotions that work themselves out into sinful behaviors. We see selfish emotions that work themselves out in selfish behaviors. And, and remember this, behavior always follows belief. We always act upon what we believe. So what we do in the moment is an expression of what we believe in the moment. Now, in contrast, the fruits of the Spirit, Paul says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm going to come back to that next week. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And just, just to give a little bit of, of what I'm looking at for next week, a foundational difference in the works of the flesh is in, in the works of the flesh we see the driving motive is self-centered expression and self-centered temporal pleasure and it truly is using the context of life 
for the benefit of self at the expense of all. If, if you had to sum up that list of works in the flesh, it would be a driving motive that is self-centered expression and self-centered temporal pleasure and using the context of life for the benefit of self at the expense of all. And its path, by the way, the Bible says, leads to death. Now, we'll, we'll look more about the, at the contracts, contrast next week because I want to look at some the ideology behind them and the motives behind them. But I want us to observe that the works of the flesh lead to death. We need to understand that. In our, in our culture, in our day and age of the American church, we need to understand that for two reasons. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is, this is a truth that is utterly ignored in many, many mainline denominations and churches in America. That the works of the flesh lead to death and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What, is, what does Paul mean? Paul means if you do these things, you're not a saved person. You're not in the new covenant with Christ. I'll come back to that in just a second. We live in a day and age in which the gospel has been watered down to need no repentance to see no change of life, to have no true biblical evidence of the Spirit of God living in your life, and then we just pat people on the back and say, you're okay, while all the while they're on a path that leads them to death. And it should, it should sadden our hearts as Christians. It should sadden our hearts. Paul says that such behavior as detailed in the works of the flesh, are evidences that the Spirit of God does not dwell in you. Now, I want to get, I want to, I want to, get to this one, one last thing. We don't have Sunday school today, so you can stay here a little while. <laughs> Paul, again, is not stating that once a person is born again that there is an absence of sin in your life. Paul is not saying that being led by the Spirit is an absence of sin in your life. He's not saying that being a Christian means an absence of the struggle against sin. He's actually saying that being led by the Spirit will manifest itself by a struggle with sin, a struggle to put sin to death, not enjoy it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are no longer under the dominion of sin and hence do not practice sin. And that's what I want to get to because it, this verbiage, if you will, in the English language can be confusing. I want us to be clear what Paul means by saying this, and it's important for us to understand within the context of sanctification, and it's foundational for us as we progress through this epistle. Those who do such things, what does Paul mean? Well, does Paul mean that if you do that, you lost your salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation. Does Paul mean if you fall back into a sin that somehow you've been exiled and abandoned by the Holy Spirit and kicked out of the new covenant? No, that's not what Paul means. 
But Paul very much like James teaches that a true faith is not a dead faith. So those who do such things, and the important thing about this verb do, that's the verb, the important thing to understand that it is the present tense and it is the active voice in the Greek. In the English, it would have an ing added. So here's what Paul is really saying. Those who are doing such things, you hear the present tense in that? And actively doing these things currently in their life. That's what Paul is saying. Meaning, and here's what Paul means, those that have no severance with sin. There's been no cutoff from sin. There's been no cutoff from a desire for sin and pleasure in sin. There's not been, their life has not been marked by a breaking free from sin. And even, they even actively pursue sin as a pleasurable option. That's what he means here. And that's why it's important to understand the present tense and the active voice. Practicing sin is like practicing anything that you want to get better at. Because we actively pursue what we take pleasure in. We actively talk about what we delight in. And so if we're practicing sin, we're taking pleasure in it. We're hoping to get more out of it. We're not seeing that the promises are not really there in sin. We're taking pleasure in the enjoyment of the success in it. We're putting forth effort to make progress in it. That's what practicing sin means. And as Christians, with the Spirit living within us, when we give in to temptation and sin, we are grieving the Holy Spirit... If we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we're told that when we go against the Spirit, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And here's a work of the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit in us is to lead us to godly sorrow over the sin that we just committed. And therefore, there's not... There's not a, 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 a delighting in, hoping to do more. There's no conviction. There's no sorrow. There's no godly sorrow or condition in our life. It, that would look as if maybe we don't have the Spirit of God living in us. And so the Holy Spirit leads us to godly sorrow. If the Holy Spirit lives within us, we're told that when we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit and if the Holy Spirit is grieved, he'll work that grief into us. And then, if the Holy Spirit is leading grief, his grief, into us, that's what godly sorrow means, the Holy Spirit is working his grief into us, then there's going to be a sorrow in us over our sin. There's going to be a desire to break free from it. Why? Because we're sorrowful over it, and we're sorrowful over it because it grieves the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so when we become aware that we're sinning, 
We don't take pleasure in sin because we understand it's not joyful. Sin is not the context for joy. It's not what God delights in. Now, here, here, I'm going to close with this. I know, I know I've gone a little long. Here's the, here's the takeaway. This is important for us to understand because there's nothing, there's nothing sadder than someone thinking they're saved and they're not. But there's also equally sad, if you will, equally sad, a Christian that has all the riches in Jesus living defeated. So it's important to understand that there should be evidence of the Spirit in our life, and when we're sinning, there should be sorrow. When we're made aware, and now it's possible to sin and not be aware of it intellectually, but the Holy Spirit will cause discomfort in our life and will, will produce in us a godly sorrow. And if that's not going on, then in the moment we can't have assurance that we have the Spirit. And if that's important. Because you shouldn't be walking path down the path of death thinking you're on the path of life. And yet at the same time, if you're in Christ and you're witnessing a sorrow over sin and a desire to break free from it, although we're sorrowful for our sin, we can have joy because there's fruit that the Holy Spirit is living within us. And although we may need to break free from a specific or certain sin in our life, praise God that he's giving me assurance that I'm in the new covenant with Jesus because the Spirit's working within me to have godly sorrow. So the Christian life should be filled with joy. Sorrowful, Paul says, yet always rejoicing. Because the work of the Spirit in our life points us back to the work of Christ in our life now. And that doesn't happen to someone without the Spirit of God. We will not attain perfection in this life. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And at the same time, since our new birth, we can and should pursue a life that is, as the Apostle Paul states in Colossians 3.5, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. So there should be a pursuit of resisting the flesh, a pursuit of growing in godliness, a pursuit of patience in the process, humility as we go through this tug-of-war process of sanctification, and a recognition and acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit's work in our life that if we get anything right, all glory to God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Christ in our life and in sanctification. We thank you that you do not leave us to ourself because who's sufficient for these things? We find that we want to obey you perfectly, but then we don't. And we, as Christians, desire to be delivered from this body of death. And we know and we have the promises that we will be, and we long for it, and we say even now, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. 
Help us to live in the context of joy because we're pursuing holiness within the parameters of the new covenant that has been completely fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. And all praise be to you for any and every good gift that we have. We thank you and we praise you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.